How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are back at it again, working our way through the book of Colossians. And today we're going to be picking up where we left off at verse 16. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your snacks, whatever it is you're having. Come join us at the table as we take a look at the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Church of Colossae. Working our way through here, there's a lot of things that we've been gleaning, we've been taking a look at and debating and discussing, and uh, all comes back again, uh, just keeps coming back to the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord God and Savior. It's all about Him. The focus is Him. It's all about that which is of spirit, not flesh. It's about grace, not works, about faith, not self. So there's so much that we can get from this and bring to our understanding to help us to understand how we're supposed to walk and talk and work in our discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about legalism. It's not about Phariseeism. It's not about the physical. It's not It's not about the senses. It's about spirit. It's about what Christ says, what Christ does. It's all about him. It's not about us. So again, in bringing, in bringing this now to today's discussion, it's going to get a bit interesting up in here. Um, is that is uh, what I'm going to be talking about next is some of the most contentious, most debated, most fought over topics that we could possibly bring up. Uh, I get more heat from what we're going to be talking about today than I do about most other things I discuss. It, it, it's incredible how opinionated and how just dogmatic some people can really get on some of these topics so um buckle down um make sure your coffee's hot and i just ask that if you have any objection could you please show me in the word of god scripture alone without contradicting any other set point would you show me how I'm wrong? Okay, so, so we're going through here, the book of Colossians. They're picking up at, at verse 16 of chapter 2. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me there. Now, there are some things I'm not going to get into right now, as as is some other uh, things I really want to focus on here, because we're coming into the holiday season, and I know that so many people have differing views and opinions and practices and beliefs and feelings about uh, all this kind of stuff. So this is more or less what we're going to be kind of looking at. Um, so I hope that you understand. We will touch on a couple other things, but um, if you want to know more about some of this stuff, please check out my video that, I, that I've done previously called religious traditions and that one's a powder keg <laughs> that one's a powder keg uh, called religious traditions it's uh, on our playlist according to the bible uh, but meanwhile i'm glad i'm on this side of the camera so with that said good morning 
Thanks so much for joining in. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. You know, we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content as well as to check out our website where we have free downloadable gospel track PDFs and e-tracks and links to all our other platforms and goodies. With that said, going to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So grab your Bible, please turn to Colossians 2, 16. And let's take a look at what Scripture says, what God says, and never mind what we think. Fair enough? Would you say that's fair enough? Let's let God speak. Let God be true. Never man a liar. Let's let God tell us what's going on. Let's let God show us through his word and never mind what we think. With that said, time to study the word of God. Okay, let's get going. So starting off, Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. All right, now, <laughs> where do we start with this? Well, let's start at the beginning. Let no man therefore judge you, and all the progressives, all the liberals, shout amen. That's not what it's saying. We have to read the whole context. Judge you in what? In meat, drink, uh, holidays, new moon, Sabbath. So we see uh, that immediate context here we're, we are looking at jewish custom jewish culture and there's a lot of things to know about this but in in conjunction with this we take a look at uh at timothy is it first timothy four yes first timothy chapter four now the spirit speaketh expressly then the latter time some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with hot iron forbidding to marry either full abstinence that you shouldn't get married and, sh and, and all of that or, or that you know you can just shack up and you don't need to get married and you just live in fornication and adultery forbidding to marry commanding to abstain from meats which god hath created to be received at thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of god is good and nothing to be refused if it be received at thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of god in prayer i'm just gonna say it veganism doesn't line up with the bible just gonna say it now if it's just a personal preference that you just rather choose to not eat it because you just want to eat the vegetables, go ahead, fine. That, that, that There's no problem with that. But it's the teaching that it's wrong to eat meat. It's saying, believing, holding, teaching the idea, the belief that eating meat is wrong is contrary to scripture. And you can't justify it. Well, but that was the diet in the Garden of Eden before the fall of sin. Okay, that's before the fall of sin. And then after this, God told Noah, for example, eat the animals. God told Peter, eat the animals. Acts chapter 15, the apostolic council, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, eat the animals. And we see again, we see uh, Paul, a, a, an apostle of Jesus Christ, speaking by the Spirit of God, says that forbidding to eat meat, abstaining from meats, is a doctrine of devils. 
starting off with a bang. All right. So, but look, I'm just saying. So, but if a person in their own personal diet, personal uh, feelings, all this kind of thing, they just personally just want to choose to rather eat the herbs. So, uh, him that is weak eateth herbs, as the Bible says. But um, if you just would rather just do that, go ahead. That's that's your choice, but it's the forbidding to to eat meat, the the opposing of eating meat, the condemning of eating meat. You are cursing that which God blessed. You're cursing that which God blessed. So, good luck with trying to justify that one. But I'm I'm just I'm just saying, God said it. Let no no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect to holiday or new moon or Sabbath day. So take a look at another one. Over in Romans chapter 14. Let's start at Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations, uh, causing issues and problems in, in uh, trying to overwhelm them with, uh, with details and all kinds of stuff. Just keep it simple. That's what he means here. Not the devil disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now this is before the Lord. So again, in any choice of, of lifestyle, diet, practice, hobby, whatever, you should be bringing it up before the Lord. And you should be seeking his counsel about that. Now what does the Lord have to say about it? Well, well, I think it's fine. Okay, but human imagination and thought process is quite frail and susceptible to great error so we can't really trust ourselves believe ourselves we lie to ourselves on a regular basis we can't really trust ourselves so uh, we have to bring everything before the lord and seek his counsel by his word without cherry picking cross-reference what does scripture actually say now the the thing that we want to touch on first here is the great controversy of what about different meats what about pork and shellfish are christians allowed to eat pork and shellfish and there's a great many professed christians that would immediately scream and shout and fight and bicker no we're not supposed to I didn't know we're supposed to be good Jews. But if we take a look what the Bible actually says, Acts chapter 15, verse, verse uh, verses 7 to 9. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto the men and brethren, You know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them purifying their hearts by faith okay so we understand that jews and gentiles that this this whole racial divide before god doesn't exist because one is not a jew which is one outwardly but it's a circumcision of heart we talked about that yesterday uh, so please make sure you check that one out 
So we take a look at uh, at Acts chapter 15, verse 20. So the, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is present in the Apostolic Council and spoke to them and told them this. Acts 15, 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. All right. Which is then repeated in Acts 15, 28 to 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Almighty God, and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. They abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you should do well, fare ye well. Now, so we also want to then take this and go over to Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 to 4. Every moving thing. So, context god is speaking god is speaking to noah every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you even as the green herb have i given you all things but flesh with the life thereof which is the blood thereof shall you not eat you can't eat the blood that's what was said in acts 15 don't eat the blood don't eat the blood genesis 9 eat meat don't eat the blood all right so we see again in Acts chapter 10, verses 14 to 15, this is the vision of Peter with the great net being let down by heaven, filled with all the animals, God talking to Peter. Acts 10, 14 to 15, but Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God has cleansed, that call not thou common. So what we see here by the Apostolic Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, we see the end of the cultural laws. Okay. So there's the cultural laws. So there's the righteous laws and the cultural laws. They're different. They're completely different. The righteous laws, like the Ten Commandments, are laws uh, in, uh, instilled by God, uh, given by God, uh, in helping us to understand the difference between good and evil, righteousness and unrighteousness, that which is sin and that which is holy. So this, uh, these are the, uh, the righteous laws. Then we see the cultural laws, which are given specifically for the Jews. We see the specific clothing, the, surf, uh, the specific... Uh, uh, character, attributes, the diet of the Jews, all these kinds of things, that the cultural laws were done away and ended at the Apostolic Council in Acts 15. Done away with. And God even backs this up again. We see with Peter and his vision on the rooftop, because Peter had to go to the Gentiles to bring them the gospel, and, and God wanted Peter to understand that, the, that again, this is all done away. The cultural laws are done away. No food is unclean. And the Gentiles are not considered unclean to the Jews because the Jews are not supposed to have relations with the Gentiles. Supposed to be separate. And God removed that separation. So we see again, uh, uh, brought up in 1 Timothy chapter 4, as we read, about uh, as a doctrine of devils of commanding to abstain from meats. And this includes pork and shellfish. So according to the word of God, as we see that meat is given by God as food and condemning of eating meat is sin. Eating blood, however, is forbidden by God. 
you see in some cultures where they have bowls of, of actual blood, cups of blood, dishes of blood that they either eat and drink in and of itself, or they actually add blood as an ingredient in the food, or uncooked bloody meat. You're not supposed to eat the blood, as the Word of God says. He says that Old Testament and New Testament and in the church age uh, dispensation. We're not supposed to eat the blood, so just saying that. But, but pork and shellfish and meat in, in general is absolutely allowed, and any that say it's not are deceived by doctrines of devils. The condemning of eating meat is a doctrine of devils. But if you just, of your own self, again, would just choose, you just rather don't want to, is you just, just personal pain. As long as you are not promoting the idea that eating meat is wrong, is sin, or something like that. So the first thing we touch on here is the, the whole uh, dietary restrictions or commands. Uh, go ahead. I saw the comment. Eat the locusts and the honey. Eat the pork and the shellfish. Uh, eat whatever you want. Uh, just you're not allowed to eat the blood. Not allowed to eat blood. And uh, nothing is forbidden. That's what it says. That's what it says. And it's incredible that in saying this, I have actually had some people get right up in arms against me for saying that. <laughs> I've had people condemn me, condemn me for drinking coffee. Well, mostly it's coming from the, the cult of the Seventh-day Adventists because they believe that caffeine, chocolate, coffee, tea is sin. And that you won't go to heaven or something like that if you partake in that. Yeah, because your salvation is hinged upon a cup of coffee. But nonetheless, we also see, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink. Okay. We're talking about food. Let's talk about drink. Let's go over to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Now, Jesus himself has something very interesting to say here. In Mark chapter 7. And in Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 14, And when he called all the people unto him, Jesus said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. Okay? There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him but the things which come out of him those are they that defile the man if any man have ears to hear let him hear and when he had entered into the house uh, uh, from his, from the people his disciples asked him concerning the parable and he said unto them are ye so without understanding also do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him. Because it entereth not into the heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all 
these evil things come from within and defile the man. So it's not what comes in the body. It's what comes out of the heart. Remember we talked about yesterday and, and the message prior. Going on, uh, really, really, really emphasizing, really hammering on this point that it's about the heart. It's about the spirit. It's about faith. It's not about the flesh, not about the hands. It's not about the senses. It's not about the do this, don't do that, eat this, don't eat that, drink this, don't drink, drink, drink that. It's not about that. That's legalism. That's Phariseeism. What is biblical, what is of Christ, is of the heart, it's of the spirit, it's of faith. What comes out of the heart is what defiles the man. And then from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So we see the desires, the lust, the, the, the love, the, the, the things that can be manifested from the heart. This is what we look at. We look at the doctrine, we look at the heart, we look at the spirit, we look at the faith. Look at the belief. We, it's not about the physical fruits. It's about the fruit of the spirit, not the physical fruits. Okay? So the cup of coffee is literally nothing. Coffee is not the issue. Addiction is. Uh, uh, that, as the scripture is talking about, that nothing should be a power over you. So if you're drinking coffee, that's perfectly fine. Well, what, what, this is their argument, but coffee is, a, it's, it's a drug. So sugar. How far do you want to take that one, bud? Oh, but, but it affects the mind. What doesn't? This doesn't defile me. The drink does not defile you the meat does not defile you gluttony does addiction does drunkenness does fornication does we see uh, uh, as jesus talks about it's not what is without the man but that which is within the man is what defiles him but the legalist the pharisee the hyper lockkeeper gets all twisted around and re-emphasizes onto the physical nature and not the spiritual. See, this is why Jesus talks about how John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he had a devil. But the Son of Man came both eating and drinking, you said, behold, a gluttonous and a wine bibber. You see, it, it, see, they get so focused on the physical. They're not paying attention to the doctrine of the heart, the spirit, and the faith. So we see what the scriptures talk about here. We have to take what the Bible says. Stop focusing on religious legalism. Religious legalism. Okay? It's not about the food. It's not about what's in the cup. It's not about what you're doing. It's about the belief of faith of the heart. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Do you see that? All of the religious cultists will be reing right now, but I don't care because that's what the Bible says. You can call me whatever name you want. I challenge you to prove me wrong by using scripture alone without contradiction. No longer under the law, but under grace. So, as we take a look at these things, people won't like it. They'll get mad. 
they'll unsubscribe, they'll delete, they'll censor, they'll call out, they'll name call, they'll freak out, or some other thing. But look, this is just what the Bible says. So the Bible says, and I challenge you to prove it wrong. Let no man therefore judge you in these things. Because these things aren't what matters. These things aren't what matters. We see, as Jesus says, to judge not after the appearance. <gasps> you see what they're eating? They're eating pork. Judge not after the appearance. He, he didn't wear a suit to church. Don't judge after the appearance. Did you see what, what he was doing doing over there? At the, don't judge after the appearance. We judge righteous judgment. Righteous judgment, which is judging by the standard of the word of God alone. Judging by the standard of God's righteousness, God's judgment, what God says, not by, as Jesus called out the Pharisees, you're teaching for doctrines, the traditions of men, denominational distinctives. But our denomination, we don't do this and we don't do that. Oh, I'm sorry. I guess my phylacteries aren't as big as yours, are they? It's not about what I'm doing or not doing or how 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 physically holy and, and how restrictive you are in your denominational distinctive. It's not about that. It's about the belief, the heart, and the love of Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, what he says, and how we follow him. We look at things that they called him out for. Look what Jesus did. I'm just going to rein myself in here. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holiday. New moon and the Sabbath. Holidays. This is another topic that I get absolutely raked over the coals for. But again, if you disagree, show me by the word of God alone without contradicting any other set point of scripture. Show me, show me how I'm wrong. Okay, let's take a look what the Bible says about holidays. Okay, now, this is one that a lot of people don't really understand because they have their own personal interpretations, their personal hobby horses that they're just going to stay on to their death. They'll die on that hill, but okay, but I'm just, I have some things just to show you what the Word of God actually has to say on this and... I hope you'll hear me out on this. Let's take a look. What does the Bible say about holidays? Okay. Now, as for celebration of holidays, it's up to personal choice. You're allowed to go do, be, have whatever you want. That That's just the, the rights and freedoms, the liberty of, uh, of life. Allowed to go do, be, have whatever you want. But there are consequences to certain choices and things, understandable. And we're supposed to bring everything back to the word of God to see what does the Lord actually have to say on this matter. Is there something in the Word of God specifically about this? And I know what some people are thinking, but let's take a look. Now, again, we must bring everything back to Jesus Christ. He's the authority. He's God. He's the ruler. We are not. Our traditions, our church traditions, all this stuff is not. So, it would be a shame to pass up any and all opportunities to evangelize the gospel. Okay, so this is what I'm going to preface this with. Because some holidays, people say, well, Christmas and Easter, for example, are pagan. Okay, that's your that's your prerogative to think that. But let's take a look at something here. Um, 
Apostle Paul went to Athens, Greece. He went to Mars Hill, the pagan hilltop of all of the gods, of all the pantheons, amidst all of the idols. Okay. Apostle Paul used the altar to the unknown God on Mars Hill as a springboard to preach the gospel to the Athenians. Think about that one. Mull it over. Apostle Paul used the altar to the unknown God on Mars Hill a pagan altar, he used that as a springboard with which to preach the gospel to the Athenians. Okay. Regarding the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, whatever, whether it was pagan or not is not the point. But rather, understanding that the whole public sees some of these holidays as Christian, quotation marks, okay? And they identify it as such. We see around the Christmas period, even public news stations are playing Christian Christmas songs, okay? Thus, using this as an opportunity to reach out and witness to them about Christ, instead, of confusing them by all the infighting within ourselves over such things. Christmas, for example, is publicly seen as synonymous with the birth of Christ. I know he wasn't born in December 25th. That's not the point. It's the fact that he did come and it's a belated birthday. Let's just look at something here. That is synonymous with the birth of Christ. And if that gives me a chance to speak to them about the gospel, then I'm going to take it and use it. The public is more open around that time, around the time of Christmas, for example, more open to hearing about Christ than any other time of the year. And people who generally would never darken the door of a church feel obliged to go to church and hear the gospel around Christmas and Easter. Should we refuse them that opportunity? The same as Easter, which has been changed and become synonymous with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. These times have nothing to do with the ancient ideas, but have been completely changed and now are used to honor Christ and nothing of this world. For example, you don't see people going to the Roman temples and having their way with the temple prostitutes like the romans did around the time of their easter i.e ishtar whatever it is you want to call it and nobody's worshiping the sun god the, the all of those old practices those old pagan heathen traditions are gone nobody has anything to do with any of that it's they've been completely changed 
these holidays have been changed i.e redeemed now to have a completely different presentation a completely different idea completely different practice every single day of the year you could pretty much find a pagan holiday something in some culture somewhere in the world pretty much every time the days of the week are named after pagan gods The days of the week are named after pagan gods. If you if you're if you get your nose all out of joint because some people are are having something to do on Christmas or Easter, you better stop using the names of the week. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. These times have nothing to do with the ancient ideas and have been changed completely and now are used to honor Christ and nothing of this world. This, this though, shows the exclusion of one other one, though, as we see, like, for example, Halloween. There's nothing redemptive about it. There's literally nothing redemptive about Halloween. And the Halloween is synonymous with death evil darkness violence murder demons ghouls witches vampires everything evil everything dark under the sun that's what halloween's about there's no redemptive quality no redemptive aspect there is nothing with which in halloween that you could use to honor christ i actually challenge you to give me one single biblical example of how halloween honors christ And I'll be waiting until the end of days. This, though, shows the exclusion of Halloween, which is still a time of darkness, evil, and glorifying the demonic and everything God hates and calls abomination. Halloween has absolutely no redemptive aspects. There's absolutely nothing about Halloween that could be used to glorify God. So, with that, hashtag boycott Halloween is a movement that I started uh, joined in and, uh, and have been promoting and started uh, several years ago. Hashtag boycott Halloween. And uh, since we started that, we've, we've had tens of thousands of Christians and tons of churches actually join in the movement of boycott Halloween. And how, how this works and what this is about is you cut off absolutely anything and everything that has to do with Halloween. You don't buy any Halloween items or bags of candy that has Halloween markings or imagery or anything you, that you have nothing to do with Halloween whatsoever. It's cut off out of your life. You say, well, it's a time of dressing up in candy. You can do that any other time of year. Why do you have to feel you have to join in Halloween? Halloween is evil, it's demonic, it's unchristian, unchristlike, ungodly, unholy. It is in the occult, it's called Satan's birthday. It is the uh, one of the top number one times of the year of witchcraft ritual and satanic invocation. That's what it is and what it symbolizes. It comes from the ancient Druid festivals of Samhain, human sacrifice, and all kinds of other evil debauchery why are you participating you say you love the lord jesus christ you partake in halloween and then sing oh how i love jesus that's kind of hypocritical don't you think 
just something to think about. Just something to think about. So if we take a look, though, at one that uh, a lot of people really go up in arms about, it's the whole Christmas idea. Now, I'm just going to present you something to think about. If you disagree, you can disagree. But again, show me by the word of God how I'm wrong. So Christmas, for example, whether or not it had pagan origins, it now has been changed and no longer has paganized aspects. For example, nobody is worshipping Tammuz or the sun. <laughs> Give me a break. Nobody's worshipping the sun. Nobody's worshipping Tammuz anymore. It's been completely taken over, completely changed, and it has, has the redemptive aspect now that has been turned into a time of celebrating and worshipping Jesus Christ. It is a belated birthday party when uh, all Christians everywhere can celebrate that Jesus has come. He did come. He did fulfill that the uh, the prophecies and that the Son of God has arrived. Uh, this is what it's commemorating. Well, nowhere in the Bible does it say to do that. Neither does it show in the Bible you're supposed to celebrate your own birthday. Now, I can go there. You celebrate your birthday, but you won't celebrate his? Show me how it's wrong to celebrate Christ's birthday. Show me how that's wrong of having a date, a time where Christians everywhere could come and celebrate and commemorate and rejoice that he did come. How is that wrong? We celebrate Jesus Christ. These holidays are now centered on gathering with family, dinners, gifts, and remembering Christ's arrival, fulfillment of prophecy, rejoicing, joy, happiness, fellowship, and, 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 and having a party with Jesus at the center. How is that wrong? Jesus went to feasts. He went to banquets. He went to parties. He went to weddings. He went to all of that stuff. How is that wrong to now have him at the center of a great party worldwide of celebrating that, that, that he was born, that he did come? How is that wrong? Let's use actual biblical logic on this one. How's that wrong? I get all kinds of people say, well, well, oh, a thousand years ago, they, they, they worshipped Tammuz on that day. Yeah, okay. All of the days of the week are named after pagan gods. You shouldn't be doing anything on a day that was used as a pagan thing then. Good luck ever doing anything. What about your birthday? Let me ask you a question. Uh, do you have birthday cake? With candles? Do you light the candles and then blow them up? That's candle magic. That's actually originating candle magic. You light you light a candle, make a wish, blow it up, that's candle witchcraft. That's where it came from. So we see. The focus, the intent, the purpose that's behind it. It's not what enters the man that defiles him, but what comes out of the heart. 
Apostle Paul used the pagan altar on Mars Hill, Athens, Greece, to the altar to the pagan unknown God as a springboard with which to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Athenians. I can use Christmas Thanksgiving and all of those. I can honor Christ at that. Unlike Halloween, however, that has no redemptive aspects at all. The whole thing's pagan and accursed by God. I'm neither for nor against. I'm neither for nor against Christmas or Easter. My personal view is that if something can be used to celebrate and glorify Jesus Christ and preach his gospel with, I'm going to use it. Because to condemn the usage of it in that way is to condemn the Apostle Paul for using the, the altar to the unknown God. Was he wrong? Was Apostle Paul wrong? To condemn using Christmas and Easter, you have to condemn Paul. My personal view, based upon the study of the scriptures, is that if something can be used to celebrate, speak of, identify with, magnify, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ without contradicting direct scripture, then who am I to say ought against it? Charles Spurgeon is on record of saying that Christmas is one of the greatest times of the whole year to preach Jesus Christ. Was Charles Spurgeon wrong? So just something to think about. Christmas and Easter are one of the few times the unsaved public are most likely to listen to witnessing attend church not be hardened against Christ. It would be an absolute crying shame before God to pass up a chance to use this to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether we like it or not, Christmas and Easter is a time that Western culture allows Christ-centered ideology to surface without massive backlash. Charles Spurgeon, again, was in favor of using Christmas for outreach and said that it's an excellent time for reaching the hearts of men with Christ. Now, now, the next argument that comes in, the, uh, of course, that we will be touching on with this, because, again, this is just all part and parcel, but let no man judge you and meet and drink or respect the holiday or uh, new moon or Sabbath days would we'll be touching on these things. The next thing that comes up, say, well, well, okay, but what about the Christmas tree? Okay, let's just, for fun, let's just touch on that one just for a moment. Now, I have done immense research on the Christmas tree thing. I have heard all of the arguments. I've seen all of the arguments. And the thing is, there is so much conflicting information. Some people say, hey, it came from Babylon. It came from Rome. It came from the pagans in, Ger in Germany. It came from over here. It was the... Okay, first off, uh, the the whole thing about that they used it in Babylon and all the stuff, the tree that they used it, you understand that uh, 
whether they did or not use trees over there, uh, we have to take a look at what the Bible says. Now, the argument that people use is Jeremiah chapter 10. They love to say Jeremiah 10. Okay. Have you ever read it? Jeremiah 10. Have you actually ever read the passage? And then correlated it with scripture, paired scripture with scripture, verse with verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, rightly divine word of God. Have you ever actually done that with Jeremiah chapter 10? I have. And it's interesting. For those who use the Jeremiah 10 argument, no, no, I'm, I'm very sorry to break it to you, but... Jeremiah chapter 10 is not talking about Christmas trees, and I can prove it by just reading it out loud. Okay, let's just take a look at it. For those who use the Jeremiah 10 argument, no, Jeremiah is not talking about Christmas trees. That's a massive, massive incorrect reading of the context. Let's take a look at what it actually says. If we go to Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 2 to 6, okay? Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they deck it with silver and gold. And that's where they stop. They're like, see, see, they're cutting a tree down and covering it in silver and gold. That's like a Christmas tree. Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the custom of the people are vain, for one cutteth a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go." Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good, for as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Now notice the exact same wording in Psalms regarding this. Psalms 135, 15 to 18. The idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Psalms 115, 4 to 8. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Isaiah 40, 19 to 20. The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith... Spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. So, notice when you actually correlate this passage across the Bible like you're supposed to, Jeremiah 10, 2-6 that we break it down word by word it's speaking of idol making not christmas trees 
Verse 2, learning the way of the heathen. Verse 3, working and crafting out a tree. Verse 4, plating and decking with silver and gold and fastening so it can't move. Verse 5, they cannot speak. They cannot move, but are carried about the people. Verse 6, there is none like unto thee. No other gods that are like the Lord God. It's not Christmas trees or anything like that. It's literal making a false god idol with faces, nose, eyes, mouth, ears, hands, forming, crafting, plating an actual idol, not a Christmas tree. All people see is the word tree and gold and silver, and they cherry pick it, cherry pick the passage and create conspiracy theories about it to try to find a way to condemn the decorating of plants. Because somehow putting tinsel on a plant is making an idol. Is it wrong to bring plants in your house and make them pretty? Is that wrong? I see no passage in the entirety of the Bible that condemns the decorating of plants for just something to look nice. It's not an idol. It's a plant with tinsel. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect of a holiday or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Let's go back to Romans 14. Let's continue this in verse 5. Romans 14, verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, but he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. None of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. What he's literally saying here is, if you want to celebrate, go ahead, leave them alone. If you don't want to celebrate, go ahead, leave them alone. If you don't want to partake, don't partake. Leave each other alone. It's to the Lord. You give it to the Lord. If you don't want to partake in the name of the Lord, that's fine. If you want to partake in the name of the Lord, go ahead, that's fine. Leave each other alone. Let no man judge you in these things. It's for the Lord, to the Lord, by the Lord, through the Lord, for the Lord. There you go. To condemn it, you have you have to. You have to condemn Apostle Paul for using the altar to the unknown God of Mars Hill. Prove me wrong, folks. Come on. Come on. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, there is nothing unclean of itself. 
just as Jesus said, nothing without the man defiles him. Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, says there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that for, for, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. But he that in these things, he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. He that in these things, eating, drinking, holidays for Christ, to Christ, by Christ, he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, destroy not the work of God. Don't destroy the work of God over your bickering of meat. Don't destroy the work of God over your bickering of holidays. For meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but if it is evil for that man that eateth with offense, it is good neither to eat flesh or drink wine or any other thing whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or that is made weak. Now, what does that mean? If someone it, uh, to cause their brother uh, to stumble or is offended or made weak, what does that actually mean? If you actually do a study on these words, that doesn't mean I'm offended. That's not what that means. Or to stumble in this way, or to offended, that means to fall in sin, to be weakened by sin, to weaken their faith. Offended means to grow weak in the faith and walk away from the faith. To make one actually fall away from the faith is what this means. If this thing could cause thy brother to stumble in the faith and grow weak in the faith and walk away from the faith, then abstain from that here's the other thing in verse 22 of romans 14 verse 22 hast thou faith if you have faith in these things that this thing is not a problem and you're giving it for, to, for the lord to the lord others disagree with you but you have faith in this that it's perfectly fine hast thou faith have it to thyself before god just keep it to yourself you don't need to go around broadcasting it making sure everyone knows what you're about and causing all kinds of issues or whatever just keep it to yourself if you have faith about it, that's perfectly fine. Keep it to yourself. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Uh, Romans 14, 22. Look at Romans 14, 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. Let's just give that one... A moment let's read it one more time and just give it a moment romans 14 22 hast thou faith have it to thyself before god happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth because verse 23 he that doubteth you don't have faith in this, but you're left in confusion and you're not sure. He that doubteth is damned if he eat because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin.
that's also uh, James 4, 17, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Very similar in language. So, okay. Eating, drinking, holidays. What does the word of God say? I don't care what denominational distinctives say. I don't care what church tradition says. I don't care what personal opinions are. I don't care what other people think or feel about this. I only care what the word of God says. Convince me by the word of God. As Martin Luther says, convince me by the word of God. I don't want to hear some person's archaeological digging and transcribing of ancient documents outside of scripture of ancient cultures thought and practice i don't care about that i don't care about that i don't care what the babylonians did i don't care what the romans did i don't care what the druids did i don't care what the pagans do and say i care about jesus christ and him crucified buried risen again and celebrating him honoring him glorifying him and promoting him in every way shape and form that i possibly can to condemn the holidays you have to condemn paul's usage of the pagan altar to the unknown god okay we have one more oh wait there's more. If we have to poke the bear, then let's just get it over with. Okay, the next one here is Sabbath. The Sabbath argument. Because there's so many legalistic, pharisaical, self-righteous, law-keeping, works-based type people that think that they have to be like good Jews. And they can they have to keep the Sabbath. Okay, well, what does the Bible actually say in regarding the Sabbath? What does it say? Regarding the whole Sabbath law thing, what does the Bible actually teach? And FYI, I did the study on this. I looked it up. I cross-referenced scripture, and I took a look at what it says in regarding the, uh, uh, the church ages. We're not Old Testament. We're New Testament. There are certain laws, certain principles, certain things that are done away like the cultural laws, for example. So if we take a look at what the Bible actually says, and you cross-reference, line upon line, precept on precept, here a little, there a little, as saith the prophet, rightly dividing the word of truth, being a Berean. Regarding the whole Sabbath law thing, firstly, you got to look at the kind of person that is trying to emphasize the keeping of the Sabbath. Take a look at that person that is emphasizing you have to keep the Sabbath. You need to keep the Sabbath, but the proper Sabbath. Take a look at them. They're a law-keeping Pharisee. They're law keepers. And they think that we're bound by law and we need to be like good Jews. And that if you don't keep the law, your salvation is either in jeopardy or you're in bad standing with God or something. We're not bound by law. We're no longer under the law, but under grace. And as we see in the Bible, the... We, for example, we take a look at the tabernacle slash temple priests. Okay. Let me ask you a question. The temple priests and tabernacle priests. Did they only worship God and serve God and work for God one day a week? Did they only work one day a week? 
Did they only do all of their, their stuff on the Sabbath? I.e. Saturday. By Jewish calendar. As you see, there's Jewish calendar that was then overridden by the Roman calendar, the Gregorian calendar. As we see in the Bible, the tabernacle temple priests didn't just serve God and worship God on one day, but every day. They studied scripture, taught the people, conducted the sacrificial offerings every day. And not to mention, there was also the night watch. There was a night shift of priests. There was also the night watch, an order of priests that worked throughout the night preparing and cleaning everything for the day shift priests. So technically... The priesthood order was working 24-7-365 continually. There was always, always, always priests in the temple, in the tabernacle, working, cleaning, worshiping, sacrificing. There was always priests busy. Okay, that's interesting. And we take a look at what scripture says about us. That we are a royal priesthood, as Peter writes, living temples, as Paul states, believer priests that serve the Lord every day, worship him every day, and not just on one day. Our worship and gathering together can be on any day of the week. Every day is our Sabbath because Jesus said, whenever ye are gathered together, do this in my name. He emphasized any day and time around the clock we can gather together for worship. And also, by the way, um, FYI, here's a, here's a mic drop. Uh, by the way, when you take a look at the Ten Commandments, you take a look at the laws of God. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I challenge someone to show me uh, that all of the laws of like the Ten Commandment laws of the laws of God are repeated in the New Testament that are as, as importance with exception of one. The Sabbath law was not repeated in the New Testament as something that is important for believers to keep. All the others are, but the Sabbath law is not, not mentioned. Interesting. Also, by the way, the Sabbath law is the only one of the laws that are not repeated in the New Testament as something that is to be observed because Christ replaces this commandment by the new covenant in him. Our worship and gathering together can be any day of the week. Every day is our Sabbath. We are living temples and believer priests serving God as the Old Testament priests did, except our sacrifices and offerings are spiritual. The Sabbath law was done away with and changed by Christ in the New Testament. Ezekiel 20, verse 12. Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. It, the Sabbath was a sign. Colossians 2, 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holiday or the new moon or the Sabbath. If someone else wants to fellowship on Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, leave them alone. 
Romans 14 verses 5 to 6 one man esteemeth one day above another another esteemeth every day alike let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind he that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it he that eateth eateth to the Lord for he giveth God thanks and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks so we see that uh, just like with the holidays if you want to partake go ahead if you don't fine you, what what day do you want to gather for church? What day would you like to gather for a time of worship, praise, and prayer? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Doesn't matter. Oh, by the way, Sunday is the sun as that was the day of the sun. Monday. Oh, that wait, that's Moon Day. Thursday. Oh, that was Thor's day. Saturday. That's Saturn day friday that was frere day all the days of the week are named after false gods so that doesn't matter because we don't serve them we have nothing to do with them it's no different than paul using the altar to the unknown god to worship christ that which in we serve christ planets as well constellations even some medical practices, medicine names, <laughs> cars, <laughs> vehicles. It's it's how it's used. It's in how it's used. What it's used for. What it's used to commemorate, to honor, to glorify. We take a day, a time of gathering to worship the Lord Almighty Jesus Christ. To glorify Him and proclaim His goodness and His gospel. That's what matters. I don't care if pagans did whatever on that day. That means nothing to me. Their God's dead. Their practices are dead and long gone and forgotten. Who cares? The Lord, he reigns. He's alive forevermore. And we're, we're taken over. We're taken over the holidays. We're taken over the days. We're taken over everything and to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we're commemorating him. And who cares about the pagans? We need to stop uh, the infighting and the in bickering. Well, pagans did this and pagans did that, and we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't celebrate Jesus on that day because a pagan did a thing. So I'm going to restrict the worship of Jesus Christ because some pagan did a thing on a day. Is that literally? Is that what you're saying to me? That I have to restrict the worship of Jesus Christ because a pagan did a thing. Really? Your faith's weak. Okay, your faith's weak. So. Triggered yet? Let's keep going. Alright, so Colossians 2. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we spoil principalities and powers and triumph over them in the name of Jesus Christ, commemorating him, glorifying him, praising him, singing to him, Proclaiming his goodness, preaching his gospel in the faces of the devils. Why shouldn't we? 
to those Christians that would rather shut down the preaching of Jesus Christ, limit the proclamation of the gospel, and cower in their homes because the pagans are marching in the street. We should be out there proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like in Halloween, the only thing that you should be doing in Halloween is handing out gospel tracts and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all you should be doing. Don't hand out candy because that's a part of the ritual of the giving of offerings to the dead and to the demons. You shouldn't be dressing up because it's a part of the ritual of, of, uh, of disguising yourself as the witches, the priests, the priestesses, and the demons. It's partaking in the holiday. Rather, we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that they would repent of that their wickedness and turn to the Lord. Tell me I'm wrong. The goat, the wolf, and the rat will get upset at what I'm saying here. And the Pharisee and the legalist and the lawkeeper and the... Okay. Any thoughts, words, comments? What's your thoughts? Do you agree? Do you disagree? What's your thoughts? Let's hash it out. Let's see. What does the Bible say? If you disagree and you have an argument, I would love to hear it. If I'm wrong, I want to know that I'm wrong so I can correct myself biblically. Show me by the word of God using only the word of God. Convince me by the word of God. If you have an argument that refutes what I've been saying, show me by the word of God. I don't care what other books say. I don't care what the history books say. I don't care what other people feel and think and whatever. I want to hear the word of God. Convince me by scripture. Seriously, I'm, I'm open to convincing if you can show me by the word of God. But the moment I hear, I think, I feel, I believe, you're wrong. Okay? Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holiday or the new moon or of the Sabbath days. So the so new moon, these are, these are the seasonal changes, these things, as they give it to the Lord, they honor the Lord, they glorify the Lord uh, for, for the, this thing and their harvest and all this. They give it all to the Lord. Uh, people say, okay, well, what about the harvest holidays and Thanksgiving? Those are non-religious. That's just a time to commemorate that they finished the, the farming season and they gathered in all the wheat into their barns and now they get to that, uh, have a get-togethers that all the work is done for the year. That There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with the harvest festivals. There's nothing wrong with Thanksgiving. Time of families getting together and being thankful for what they have and all of this and having a party, a banquet, which Jesus attended. Parties and banquets, by the way. Oh, legalistic Pharisees. Jesus liked to have fun. So there's nothing wrong with parties, banquets, weddings, feasts, and all that. Nothing wrong with it. Jesus attended them. They called him a gluttonous and a wine-bibber. So what does that go to show you? He loved to attend feasts and banquets and parties and weddings. And the Pharisees wouldn't. So they mocked him for going when they would refuse to go. Okay, let's continue. JD says, people who boycott holidays remind me of 
boycotting Bud Light because gay advertisement. As if there isn't already corruption without gay advertisement. Exactly. They they po they focus on the one thing that dis and they harp and hammer on the one thing, and they don't look at the thing as a whole. They don't look at at all the rest of the corruptions, everything else that goes on. They just like to have their one hobby horse to hammer in to focus on instead of looking at the greater picture. So yeah. You need to look at things righteously, uh, uh, judge things righteously, taking a look at what the word of God says and in things as a whole. There's nothing without the man that defiles him, but that which comes out of the heart. We look at the things that come out of the heart and we fight against and resist the things that come out of the heart of that which God calls sin, that which God calls sin. Now, I'm, I guarantee you I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this. But let me just ask you a question, and I would like to hear a response from you folks. This is something that I've actually struggled with, thought on, and, and mulled over. Due to the sheer amount of overwhelming nature of uh, in Christendom and, and uh, the world of religion, the amount of people that would disagree with me and all these things because they have their hobby horses and they want to condemn decorating plants, they want to restrict the preaching of the gospel and all kinds of other things that they, they do and avoid certain meats and drinks and things. Should we, here's the question, should we censor water down and hide the preaching of these kinds of things like I've been doing today out of fear because the sheer amount of people that won't like it? Should we limit our freedom and liberty in Christ in the preaching of these things because of the sheer amount of people that will dislike it? What do you think? Because the sheer amount of people that come down on us for the whole Christmas tree thing. The sheer amount of people that come down on us for Christmas and Easter. The sheer amount of people that come down on us for everything else that I've been saying about the pork and drink and meat and whatever else. No, we shouldn't limit the preaching and hide the preaching because certain legalistic, pharisaical law keepers won't like it. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't. Why should we? Well, because it'll it'll cause more trouble and it'll offend them. Jesus caused trouble and offended them. Well, you're not Jesus. No, but I'm his disciple, and he said, "Do as I do, and preach as I preach." Was John the Baptist wrong? Was Elijah wrong? Were the disciples wrong? Oh. So why should we alter? the faith because there's a bunch of other people that don't understand grace and liberty. There you go. We should preach all the more. JD says, including these holidays, only one to avoid is the evil holidays that are obvious. Exactly. Have no fellowship the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather re reprove them, expose them. Uh, as we see, there's. I did some posts uh, all about this. And we take a look at some of these verses. Uh, for example, First uh, Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. As we also see in 1 Peter 1.15-16, 1, 
But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And we also take a look at 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore come up from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. So we see the uh, that which promotes evil, that which promotes wickedness, that which is a, a fellowship of darkness, these things which are clearly and obviously according to the word of God's standard, not my feelings, God's standard, which opposes the faith, promotes unrighteousness, which have nothing to do with it. Okay, but how, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? What does the word of God say? Scripture is the line, not my feelings of it. Scripture is the line, not my personal interpretation and opinion and catechismic ideology of it. Scripture is the line. There is nothing whatsoever thing outside of a man. There is nothing that outside of a man that defiles him. There is nothing unclean of itself. But we see rather the things that come out of the heart, that which is of the actual character of unrighteousness is that which we avoid and fight against. So, okay, let's keep going. Let's take a look at verse 16, um, Colossians 2, 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink in respect of a holiday or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. So what do we do then if someone does get their nose out of joint, their fur rubbed the wrong way, and they're all been out of shape, they're all upset about this? How should we deal with that? How would Christ handle it? We can, on these kinds of things, on these kinds of things, we can agree to disagree. I'll keep it to myself. You don't like that? You disagree? You you, you believe it's wrong? You don't want to partake? You, you don't want to eat in, in, to, to the Lord and I will eat to the Lord? You don't want to participate in the holiday to, to the Lord and I will participate to the Lord? Then we can agree to disagree. I'll keep it to myself. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself. Don't fight about it and bicker about that and create enemies and destroy the work of God over it. Just keep it to yourself. That's what it says. Just keep it to yourself. In your own house. That's what scripture shows. That's what scripture says. So, okay. <clears throat> Let no man therefore judge you meat or in drink in respect and holiday of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let and let's move on now to verse 18. Let no man beguile you, deceive you, deceive you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. <laughs> Oh, if only the Catholic and the Orthodox and the Mormon and the Seventh-day Adventist and the Jehovah's Witness could understand that one. Oh, we don't worship angels. What are you talking about? We don't worship them. Oh, what do you do? We venerate them. Okay. Okay. You have a dictionary with you. 
you have a dictionary? Um, can you please look up the word veneration? I don't care which dictionary you pick. Pick an Oxford dictionary, whatever. Pick a dictionary. What does the word veneration mean? <laughs> Means worship. <laughs> okay. Let no man beguile deceive you. Deceive you of your of your reward of humility. That that you you are humble and that uh, and that. Uh, other and other people can wind up taking advantage of you and leading you astray in deception and delusion and worshiping of angels now this actually is in an interesting uh, point here an interesting verse that this passage here is actually uh, in reference as this is what is theorized now i could be completely wrong on this but this is what i've read what i've studied um, is that uh, what Paul's actually referring to here is the cult of the Essenes. Now, in the Jewish culture of the temple and the leadership and all this stuff, you had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Herodians, and you had the scribes. You had a couple different sects, a couple different groups, and then there was another subsect called the Essenes, E-S-S, -S, Essenes. And they were a subsect under the Sadducees, which makes no sense, but apparently because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in an afterlife, they didn't believe in resurrection or any of that kind of thing, especially they did not believe in the reality of angels, but the Essenes were a mystic subsect under the Sadducees called the Essenes, and they were angel worshippers. They were angel worshippers. They were occultists. And they actually wound up having to leave Jerusalem because of their practices, and they were oppressed and all this, so they went up into the mountains outside Jerusalem, and this, and they formed a camp, the camp of the Essenes, where they used the, the occultic mystic book of Enoch and a bunch of other stuff, and they would conjure, summon, converse with, and worship angels. And, by the way, the Essenes camp is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just saying. Anyways, that's where they found the Book of Enoch in, the, uh, in that camp. So, uh, for example, in the worshipping of angels, this is one that uh, I like to point at uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. So, so the Savior of the Jehovah's Witnesses is Michael the Archangel, an angel. So they are literally venerating, i.e. worshipping Michael the Archangel as their Savior from their sins. The Catholics and the Orthodox venerate worship angels by conjuring them summoning them praying to them calling upon them for protection everything else they, they're worshiping angels so as paul's giving a warning here by using this by mentioning this is we have nothing to do with angels 
we don't call, summon, converse with, pray to angels, guardian angels, any of that kind of thing. We have nothing to do with them. They serve the Lord and the Lord dispatches them, sends them, deals with them. We have nothing to do with them. We completely converse with the Lord, not angels. That's what scripture says. And yes, of course, for the record, it, uh, all these cults, are they're doing this to the fallen angels. So if we see here, let no man beguile you, deceive you, your voluntary humility and worshiping of angels. So, so for example, you want to hold this as reference and I'll put your finger there and turn over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. Hebrews 2, 16. If you're into underlining, highlighting, or marking in your Bible, you want to do so with Hebrews 2, 16. Because this verse is a very important one as, again, Seventh-day Adventists, in their actual doctrinal statement, their statement of faith, they believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel. They will not say that to your face, but this is what they actually believe, and they don't want to promote this, publicize this, because then they'll be known uh, widely publicly as a cult, and they don't want that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, but if we take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, I'm talking about Christ, talking about Jesus Christ, Hebrews 2.16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He's not an angel. He's the son of God. He's the, the Spirit of God came down, fashioned a body for himself, Philippians 2, 5 to 8. And he showed himself, presented himself, and we can prove by the word of God very clearly, which we have done many times. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty, almighty God manifested in the flesh. This is who he is. He is the mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the one as we are bold, even of everlasting, almighty, sovereign Lord God. He is the Christ, he's the Savior, he's the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. The Word, which is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. The mystery of God was manifest in the flesh. God purchased the church of his own blood, and on and on. So we see that he took not on him the nature of angels. So we don't worship angels, have nothing to do with angels, other than that, recognizing that they are the servants of God, and, and all of that. But we only worship, venerate, pray to, converse with God jesus christ god and no one else that's what scripture shows okay okay let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind like mike michael heiser mike heiser he uh this is a fella that many people know uh, he is the was he's passed away now the prominent speaker on angelology and demonology and all this kind of thing he is he was completely out to lunch completely out to lunch he did not know what he's talking about he was vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind talking about things that he has not seen he does not understand uh, completely contrary to scripture because he was interpreting the bible through the lens of the book of enoch and other sources other writings and he was preaching false doctrines false demonology false angelology and all of that he is a uh, he's a, a dangerous individual to listen to he'll lead you astray in a lot of things and in a lot of corruptions of scripture 
Uh, whether he was saved or not, I don't know, but he was completely wrong on this topic. And he's not someone you should listen to in regards to angels and devils and all of that. Okay. So just a similar, we see, for example, with the Catholic Church and the, all of their pantheon of angels, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, Donatello, Uriel, and Leonardo, uh, all of their other archangels that they have and all these other angels that, that you have uh, um, Metatron and Uriel and Raphael. The Bible doesn't talk about those. Those are made up by the Catholic Church. Those are completely made up by the Catholic Church. Those aren't angels. Those are made up by the Catholic Church. The only uh, the only angels mentioned in the Bible by name is Gabriel, Michael, Lucifer. Those are the only ones mentioned in the Bible. All other names are made up. Made up by those organizations. They made them up. So... We have to see what does the Bible say. And even if, oh, it says they're irrelevant in, in this aspect. They serve the Lord. They uh, We don't command them. We don't converse with them. We have nothing to do with them. If they do show up, they'll justify themselves with the message from the Lord. That'll be backed up by the scriptures and all that kind of thing. As we test the spirits, see if they're of God. And, you know, if, if. An angel appeared and said something. We test it by scripture to see what it's about. And just like we see all down through scripture. But the thing that we have to be very careful of is the desire of the supernatural in this way. Of, of, of longing for more and all these other things as you see a lot of people in the orthodox and the mystic sects of catholicism and that kind of stuff as they're, they're needing more than what the bible actually shows that's one of the big red flags of the of cults and cult doctrines is that that there's the craving for more so the creation of more creation of more because the scriptures are boring scriptures are boring we take what the bible itself flat out says the cults will add to scripture, subtract from scripture, change scripture. And so we got to be very careful with that. What does the Bible say about these things? What does the Bible say? So, <clears throat> let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Visions, dreams, all these things, if they occur, okay, fine, but we don't go seeking that. We don't go seeking all these other things. Sure, there are angels around us, and we can wind up being entertaining angels unawares. It's possible. It can happen. It has happened. There are other reports that are happening to other people. We don't go seeking after that. Because now you're getting puffed up, and you're being led astray, and uh, you are now serving the angels. Because you're, and you're serving the visions. You're serving these other things because the faith itself is not enough for you. You're now being led astray. You've been beguiled. You've been deceived. You've been led astray. Your, your religious humility is being placed on something else. So you want to be very careful with that. Um, this, like the hyper-charismatic, is all angling after and serving and worshipping the experiences. They're a cult of experiences. They crave the experiences. 
um, their experiences are their doctrine, are their authority. Well, how could you say Because I experienced, I felt, I saw. Good for you, but that means nothing. That's irrelevant. So, yeah, just exactly as Sonny here says, I notice ex-New Agers tend to get deceived by other sensationalist ideals. It's true. It's true. Uh, but we got to learn uh, what is our authority. We've gone over this before. Our authority, uh, our absolute authority, our guide in all things is the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible, the Holy Writ, nothing else. What you have experienced, seen, in all of those things is irrelevant. Utterly irrelevant. All that matters is what the Word of God flat out says. Other books, other writings, catechisms, commentaries, creeds, councils, other sources or books written by other authors, the, the fathers of this, that, other thing, it's all irrelevant. When you start letting other books, other writers, other things, other experiences dictate to you truth, absolute truth, and doctrine, and how we are to carry out our religion, your religion's corrupted. Your religion's corrupted. Just saying. That goes for everything. Let no man beguile you of your reward and voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things you had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Puffed up. You also notice people that really uh, uh, emphasize and focus on all of that kind of stuff, they, they get quite puffed up. Arrogant prideful, self-righteous, almost culty. That happens. And not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with an increase of God. We're to work together like a body works together with all the joints and all the parts and everything works together. We're to work together, not be off on your own tangent, doing your own thing, puffed up and think that you can hold yourself as the body by yourself. Don't do that. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? You subject yourself to these other things. You give yourself to all these other things. That's wrong. And worldly ordinances, worldly practices, worldly laws and rules of these things. To giving yourself to to that which is a flesh of uh, that which is a physical of sensation. Why is the living in the world that you subject to ordinances? Taste not, so touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. That's Mark chapter seven again. Paul is, Paul is repeating Jesus. Paul's repeating Jesus from Mark chapter 7 about the teach for doctrines, the traditions of men, the ordinances of men, the ideas and the feelings, the logic, the philosophy, the practices, the rule, the opinions and the feelings of flesh, of men, of the mind, of what they think, their interpretation, their experiences, all that will perish. It'll all perish. We walk in spirit, not flesh. We walk in the word of God, not philosophies and opinions of men. We walk in the truth of Christ, not the experiences of sensation. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship in humility 
and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. That there, there may be some aspects of it that may seem mystical, that may seem good and kind and all this, that may feel feel right and it's humble and, and all this. But what ultimately is it serving? That's the question. What ultimately is it serving? Your, your, uh, your religious abstinence from certain practices and participation, all this, that, that may seem to have a form of will, worship, and humility, and all of this, but ultimately, what is it serving? Your personal sense of religiosity, which will perish. Because it's about you and not God. Colossians chapter 2. There you go. So, what's your thoughts? Thoughts, comments, questions, issues, insights, criticism. <laughs> well, what's your thoughts on this one? This Again, like I said at the beginning, uh, this study here now we're getting into is... Like I said, one of the absolute most controversial, most hotly de de debated, causes the most issues of all other topics and things that I could possibly speak on. Was today's about meat and drink and holidays and Sabbath and, and religiosity and mysticism, that kind of stuff. I'm telling you, these topics are some of the most hotly debated and have given me the most uh, backfire. And uh, I'm telling you, it's incredible. But look, it, we can agree to disagree. If you disagree with me, if you think I'm completely out to lunch, I'm completely wrong or whatever that, okay, fine. You are allowed to go do, be, have whatever you want, believe whatever you want, hold whatever you want. And as we see, when it comes to the word of God, though, that to, for that to be of truth, show me by the word of God, convince me by scripture, not by other books and sources and things or whatever else. Show me by scripture how I'm wrong. If you can show me by scripture, if you could pull up the text, show me in the word of God how I'm wrong in any of these things that we discussed here, I will bow to scripture. I will bow to scripture. I bow to the word of God. I will not bow to man. I will not. I refuse. I categorically refuse to bow to denominational distinctives, opinions of men, church tradition, any of that kind of thing, I bow only to the word of God. Scripture is my only authority, and this is the only thing with which you could convince me. So I'm just putting that out there. If you feel that I'm wrong or whatever else, okay. Okay. We can agree to disagree. The point is that we worship Christ. We serve Christ, and let's not, and as it says, to, as to destroy not the work of God for meat, is to not let our differences destroy our fellowship and worship of the Lord God. Okay. So if you disagree with me, we can disagree, but don't let your disagreement with me or my disagreement with you destroy our fellowship in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what's most important. That's what it's about. Okay, so with that, bring on the firing squad. <laughs>
Okay. Okay, I'm uh, going down through the comments here. Yeah, it's Dan, it says, I was talking about the Catholic angels. They have you know, all of their extra angels and names of their angels. They sound like the Ninja Turtles. That's why I always throw that in there, just like that on purpose. So you got Raphael, Uriel, Donatello, Michelangelo. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, JD says, the most common one I've experienced disagreement with is Halloween. Yeah. Which I do not recommend any Christian celebrate Halloween 100% in any way, shape, or form. Now, what a lot of churches do is they get around that. The churches say, oh, we're not doing Halloween. We're, do we're doing our own dress-up party on halloween at our church building so you're you're participating in halloween at your church no it's not halloween it, it's it, it's uh and they make up some other holiday name or some other thing but they have their dress up party on halloween at their church or they don't do that and they do their own thing well, we're not doing halloween we're doing trunk or treat so you're celebrating halloween out of your car there's no way around this the point of boycotting Halloween is to boycott Halloween, not try to repackage it. It's an evil, wicked, abominable, satanic, demonic, God-hating, Christ-hating, devil-worshipping, druid festival of human sacrifice and demon worship. That's what Halloween's about. It has no redemptive aspects. There's nothing in which Halloween, a Christian, can participate to glorify Jesus Christ. The only thing that you can do is to go out and preach Jesus Christ in the street. So, there's some things to think about. Uh, JD says, yes, I still be at church and worship God even if, they, even if they don't agree with that. Yep. Okay, so, just some things to think about. Again, a highly controversial uh, message but again it's what scripture says as we went through it i showed you the passages i showed you what it says if you disagree show me how i read these passages wrong balls in your court so with that wrapped it up there this has been a fun one uh this has been an interesting one so if you have any comments questions issues insights please by all means go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you um, again, uh, we have tons of other uh, videos on these things. I have videos on Halloween. I have videos on, on the other holidays and things. So please check those out as well. It, most of it can be found in our playlist according to the Bible. Please make sure you check that out. As well as my other uh, video I did called Religious Traditions. If you really want to get triggered, give that one a listen. I'm just going to say that. So the thing about it is it doesn't matter what you say, what you do, you're always going to upset someone. So if you're, if that's going to happen, get yourself close to the Lord, stick with the Lord. And those that you're upsetting mostly are just the opinionated goats. People say, well, you're pretty brazen and, um, and judgmental and all that. No, I'm just judging by the standard of the word of God. That's what the word of God says. And those that disagree with the word of God are goats. So, so I'm not going to apologize for what scripture says. I'm not going to uh, weaken my stance. 
I'm not going to change my mind unless you can convince me by the word of God. I'm not going to avoid using certain terms. I'm not going to avoid using certain phrases. I'm not going to avoid certain topics, all because some people will get upset. If, if it's what the word of God says about these things, then that's what we're going to say. And I'm not going to apologize for God. I'm not going to apologize for him. If scripture says it, and that's what it, that's what it says. That's what it means. I'm not going to apologize or water it down or weaken it because some people don't, don't want to hear it. That's their problem, not mine. I'm not going to censor my faith. I'm not going to censor and apologize and cancel myself, cancel culture. I'm not going to cancel myself all because some people get triggered and offended about what God Almighty has to say in his word. And neither should you. Stand with the Lord. Stand by the word of God as your final absolute authority in all aspects of faith and practice of faith. And don't apologize. Don't apologize. Okay, there you go. What does scripture say? That's the truth. So with that, wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>